Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. All right, so those who are going to Little Worship, be dismissed at this time. And as y'all are heading, as y'all are heading out, um, quick, uh, quick announcement regarding our children. Uh, so uh, starting next Sunday, uh, we're going to begin a, a children's moment uh, as part of our service. Uh, so this is something that uh, our children's ministry have, have long lobbied for. Uh, the session uh, has uh, discussed and, and thought through and has now approved uh, that we're going to add a, um, yeah, a little time. Y'all been to churches where the kids come down and there's this little kid sermon, right? Uh, we're going to try to do something similar. Uh, it's going to be about a two or three minute deal, uh, but the goal is to go through uh, the children's catechism, which our children are already learning um, and just to take one or two a week. And uh, so we, we, we reason, and of course the session is, is big on this, that, um, you know, we're teaching our kids, but there's a lot of things that we as adults can learn about from these catechisms. And so maybe at the end of the day, uh, what we learn as, you know, uh, three, four, five-year-olds, in many ways those are the essentials of the faith. And so the goal is not only would this encourage our kids uh, in the gospel, but it would also encourage all of our members uh, in the gospel. So uh, anyway, coming attractions starting next week. Uh, we're going to have just a little, this transition time is going to be children's moment, and then they'll all leave and go to children's uh, or little worship, okay? Um, again, and also, point of personal privilege as we're transitioning, look, I... In the announcement, I don't, I don't think I can do justice to just, like, the heart of the devotional podcast that's being put out. Um, it's in love, and because, well, I mean, I don't know, it's the love of this church and its members uh, that we would not forget who we are, that we would remember who we are uh, in Christ, and so have opportunity to remember that and be reminded of that on a, on a daily, daily basis. So, um, again, encourage y'all in, in in that podcast. So before we, we dive back into Luke, and as we face 2024, uh, we're going to take just a one-week pause, and, and there's several reasons for this just kind of one-week um, pause. Uh, one is that New Year is a time to recalibrate, right? Just a natural uh, time. So as we do that, what better time than now for us to be reminded of what following the Jesus way means uh, in the New Year? Uh, two, uh, over, over the last few weeks, I've thought a lot about Jerry Stansel. And, and you, know, so, you know, sometimes you, you can go to funerals and you hear the preacher and, and you think like, okay, did we know the same person? Like, or, or, or am I even at the right funeral? Because I don't know the person they're talking about. Um, and it can seem like the preacher does a little bit of creative writing, we'll call it. Well, thankfully... Uh, no creative writing was required for Jerry, for Jerry's funeral. And, and the more I dug into her life, uh, the more I saw the, just the staggering effect Jesus had on her, uh, the more I found myself wanting what Jerry had or more of what Jerry had. And so it's just to follow Jesus into a more humble, more gracious, 
more forgiving uh, version of myself uh, this next year. Which made me wonder, what, what if before we set goals regarding health or finances, what would it look like if we just first go back to Jesus' feet and drink deeply and be formed by him you know, before we're formed by our culture? Okay, three... Uh, look, many of us love New Year because New Year means uh, a clean slate, right? <laughs> Last year is over, thank God, and it's a new beginning. So before us is a, a, a plain, just blank page, and uh, there's a lot of freedom in that. And so could the, the reason we love clean slates possibly be because on a deeper, visceral level, we crave a clean slate with our Maker, well, the, the Bible calls that clean slate that we long for forgiveness. That because of the atoning, cleansing work of Jesus on the cross, the Apostle John tells us that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So could it be that, that like all these resolutions and changes that we want to make uh, at the new year, could it be that they are actually echoes of a much deeper desire for the ultimate new beginning found in God's forgiveness. So what better time to talk about forgiveness than on this, this eve of new beginnings? And then finally, four, I'm preaching a, a sermon on forgiveness uh, because a few months ago an elder asked me to do so. And so um, with all that, uh, here we are this morning. So this is God's Word, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Well, then Peter came up and said to, to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him, forgave him the debt. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to, the master, uh, to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you, through your Spirit, would, would teach us wonderful things from your Word. Uh, Lord, even this tough topic of forgiveness, 
Uh, Lord, we ask that you would teach us the Jesus way, and by your Spirit, you would give us uh, the ability, give us the heart, compel us uh, to, to forgive. So, Lord, may we see the gospel, may we see your mercy, and may that change us this morning. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Well, look, we, 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 we've, had, we've done sermons on forgiveness in, in the past, and I've, I mean, I've, I've sought to be biblical and uh, theologically sound, but I, I fear I may have failed to handle this topic with the care and the nuance that both Scripture and life in this fallen world require. And so, look, I hope this morning, if anything, this morning sparks conversations that maybe y'all can go home and talk as a family or just think. Uh, it, it sparks thoughts of, okay, what, what does following Jesus require of you in this realm? Okay? Because this topic of forgiveness, it can get complicated because on one hand, the Bible's pretty clear, right? That, that if you are a believer, uh, to quote Paul, right, in Ephesians, what, Paul, uh, what Trey read for us this morning, we are called to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay? That having been forgiven, we respond by being forgiving, period. And, and though that, that is what the Bible says, sometimes, sometimes we can lose what that truly means. Like, like what forgiveness actually entails according to the Bible. Okay? And so, we, we also, we can't gloss over the fact that at times, and let's just be honest, this has been weaponized, um, especially to Christians who have suffered mistreatment or abuse, uh, especially from other professing Christians, you know, sometimes even by their own spouses who are in church leadership and have been told by church leadership that they need to forgive and reconcile and return to that abusive situation. All the while, that's just added spiritual abuse uh, to an already abusive situation. And, and so it, it's complicated because much of our understanding of forgiveness today has kind of been informed by well-meaning uh, but secular psychologists who have, have long championed the physical and the mental benefits of forgiveness um, to the detriment of the soul level. And so it's been argued that, that you forgive for yourself, uh, that, that forgiveness is a solo sport that helps you personally let go of negativity, and it helps you personally avoid bitterness. And of, of course, there's, there's truth to that uh, in Christ. And, and we'll, we'll get to that in, in just a bit. But the big question is, is, is that what we fully see in the Bible? Is that what we see? Well, to that, Kevin DeYoung argues, a massive case can be made that biblical forgiveness is not a solo sport, uh, but rather it is a, a two-person, a two-way transaction. And so we see that best in how God forgives, right? So if we're supposed to forgive others as God in Christ forgave us, well, how does God forgive? Uh, well, to that, David Murray summarizes it this way. He says, uh, this is what we need to know about forgiveness. God is willing God is ready. God is eager to forgive everyone. God even offers forgiveness to everyone. However, his forgiveness is conditional upon repentance, right? So think of the prodigal son 
He was forgiven and restored not because he was sad or hungry, but because he repented and, and turned. And so again, what we see is God is willing to forgive everyone and thankfully do it more than once. But we receive his forgiveness when we are drawn to repent of our sin and come to him. In other words, without repentance, we can't truly experience the, the full force of forgiveness. Well, that creates all sorts of questions, doesn't it? You know, questions like, what about non-believers? Like, how could we possibly forgive them? And, and then most painful of all, what about believers who sin against us? Like people who sit across the aisle from us in church and they wrong us and they never acknowledge it, never repent. <laughs> like, what does forgiveness look like in those situations? Well, it, it, we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture, right? And, and first, like, I mean, we half expect non-believers to sin against us. So that's not a huge surprise. We kind of expect it. But when they do, and, and when they do express sorrow, Dan Doriani said we should take that as a happy surprise and gladly forgive them. But then even if they don't show remorse or they don't show close to what we would call a repentance, uh, we still forgive in a sense. Because if you look in, in, through Scripture, that we're, call, we're called to love our enemies. You know, Scripture tells us that God loved us while we were still sinners. And so we turn in love towards others while they are still sinners. And so in this case, and this is where the psychology is, is this is what psychologists are tapping into. Forgiveness on our part as, as believers means letting go of our right to hurt that person for hurting us. Right? It's... It's releasing that person to God, trusting God, that God is just and God will make all things right. So it means we, we no longer seek vengeance on our part, but we trust that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Okay? So it's, it's not just letting go and moving on, but it's by faith, that's the important, by faith entrusting that hurt to the Lord, which enables us to not grow in bitterness. Okay? Well, then to Christians, you know, often, often Christians hurt us the deepest, right? Um, you know, we expect it from non-believers, but our brothers and our sisters in Christ, well, well thankfully, Jesus lays out like, how to walk through all of that. Actually, the entire context of our passage this morning is Jesus telling us how forgiveness works amongst fellow Christians, and so he gives us, you know, the, the passage preceding this, he gives us this entire process of if, if you're sinned against, you, you go to that person in varying ways, and if at any point in the process that person hears you, they, they, uh, they repent, then you forgive them, and, and restoration can begin. Which Peacemaker Ministries, they summarize uh, forgiveness when we forgive another believer uh, like this, forgiveness means four, four things. One, it's a, a basically a promise that you will not dwell on the incident. Two, you will not bring the incident up again and use it against them. Uh, three, you will not talk to other people about the incident. And four, you will not allow that incident to stand between you um, or hinder you and the offender's personal relationship. And so that's what like pursuing peace looks like as a believer. Okay, but if throughout that process the, the offending party never 
hears you, never listens, never repents, then, as you read that, at some point they're seen as a non-believer. And to this, Dan Doriani noted that this last step is very rare. This whole like excommunication is very rare, but it does remind us that I mean, the church does have standards. And we often say, we say this a lot, that the church is a hospital for sinners, which, which it is. But the church is not a home of proud, unrepentant sinners, right? We, we are a home of, of repenting sinners. And so if another Christian sins against you, refuses to hear you out, refuses to express sorrow or make amends, we don't forget. But forgiveness in this situation means we hand that pain over to the Lord, and that's the hard work of forgiveness. It is we, we trust justice to be done, all the while praying that the Lord would draw that person to repentance and draw that person to themselves. So forgiveness is painful. It is so costly. It's so hard, and that's why Peter asked the question we all wonder. Jesus, if someone keeps doing the same thing, like sinning against us in the same way, how many times do we need to forgive that person? Like seven times? Like, like what's the limits of forgiveness? And seven was Peter being extremely generous. You know, Jewish rabbis during the time taught that you forgive somebody three times. And after the third time, you're like, you're dead to me. Do not ever talk to me again. And yet, notice what happened here. Peter thought he was being, I mean, scandalously graceful, going above and beyond what was required during his time. I mean, really, think about how many of us have forgiven someone of the same thing seven times. And yet, Jesus said, and by the way, I guess we we need to to note that um, this is when someone sins against you, right? Like, actively sins against you, not they annoy you, you can't stand this person. It, 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 that's, the Bible calls that forbearance. You know, we're called to forbear with our brothers and sisters, right? But when someone sins against you, like actively hurts you, um, and you forgive them of the same thing seven times, well, Peter thought that he was being scandalously graceful. And yet Jesus says, look, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Well, what's that mean? Well, that phrase 77 would have a very significant, very special meaning to the Hebrew people. And, and for those of you who have been coming on Wednesday nights and walking through Genesis, um, you'll recognize this language too. Because way back in Genesis 4, we meet this uh, man named Lamech. And before there were like the sister wives from Utah, <laughs> there was Lamech from Canaan, right? And he was the first one, at least we have recorded, to, that took on multiple wives, which, to be clear, just because it's in the Bible uh, doesn't mean God was for it, right? No, Lamech defied God's plan for marriage. And amongst other things, to understand our current culture's fascination with murder and revenge and um, yeah, action like that, uh, how the plot of every action movie ever is it, it's someone with an axe to grind, and it's them taking vengeance into their own hand. All that goes back to Lamech. Lamech rounded up his wives and he told them that he killed a man who just hit him. And then he said, if Canaan's, or if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Okay. 
So this is what Jesus is talking about. So in the Bible, the number seven is the number of completion, right? It's, uh, it's so as to say that God's vengeance towards anyone who killed Cain would be the perfect measure. It would be appropriate to the crime. It would be complete. But for Lamech to then turn and to say 77 times is to go above and beyond what is appropriate. He's declaring to his wives and to the rest of the world that like his way would be an avalanche of vengeance, always. Well, Jesus is taking that negative scene from the Old Testament and he's turning it upside down so as to say, when someone sins against you and they repent, you exceed the boundaries of what seems appropriate in forgiveness. You bestow upon them an avalanche of forgiveness, which then begs the question, why on earth would we be compelled to forgive that much? Like, God, do you know how badly people have treated me? Like, how is that forgiveness possible? Well, Jesus answers that question with this, this parable, this story. Verse 23, Jesus said, the, king, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who settled who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And one of his servants owed 10,000 talents. And, and I love verse 25 because that is who we are apart from Christ. Like the debt was so massive, they didn't even entertain the possibility that he could pay it back. It was either like, I guess you just, I'll just sell you off. So for perspective, a, a, talent, a talent was roughly 75 pounds of some precious metal, 75 pounds of gold. So 10,000 talents would be 750,000 pounds of gold, which based on recent prices of gold is about 15.5 billion with a B dollars, okay? And like, look, that's not being paid back, at least not anytime soon. Or think of it this way, a, den a denarii was one day's wage, like a one day's honest labor. You work a day, this is what you get paid for one, right? Well, okay, it would take you 6,000 days of labor to earn one talent. So that's roughly 16 years, right? Just to, earn, just to earn one. Well, if he was sold into servitude to kind of repay back his debt, that would be roughly 165,000 years of labor to pay his debt. Not to mention the debts that he would acquire during that period. Well, the king knew it was impossible. So he, his servant owed a debt he could never, never pay. And so out of pity, he forgave the servant this impossible debt. But here's the deal. You know, we read it. This, this servant was never rocked by his need. He had no concept of the mercy that the king had bestowed upon him because the whole time he said, Lulu, just give me more time. I'm good for it. I, I'll pay you back. I'll do it. And we, we look at that, and that is it's comical. And it would be comical if that wasn't exactly how we're often tempted to spend our lives. That God, just give me more time. I, God, I'm good for it. I, I'll do more, and I'll try harder, and I'm going to pay you back. He didn't think he needed forgiveness. And so he never truly received forgiveness. You know, he, he didn't know the depths of the mercy, and so he didn't relish the heights of that mercy that was given. And, and so we see the toxic outcome when people who uh, don't realize they need forgiveness and so they don't give forgiveness, we see what happens. Uh, when he walked out, he found someone who, who compared to him owed something super minor. I mean, 100 denarii, right? 
This guy owed 165,000 years of labor. This is like four months. But yet he seized him and he choked him saying, pay up. And his servant did the same thing he did. He fell down. He pleaded, um, you know, just, just give me more time. I, I can repay you. But instead of giving the forgiveness he had been offered, there, there was no forgiveness. He threw the servant in, in, into debtor's prison until he could pay. Well, some of the people saw this. They saw this go down, and they reported it back to the king, and the king called him back in and said, Look, I, I forgave you because you pleaded with me. And now when someone else pleaded with you, you didn't show them the same mercy that I showed you. And so in anger, the king threw the man in jail until his debt was paid, which means like forever, right? He's, he's, he's not leaving that jail. And then Jesus delivered this summary statement that is oh so haunting. It's in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Okay. All right. As we wind down, two things this does not mean and then one thing that it does mean. This is what Jesus is after. So first, uh, what it doesn't, you know, some people read this verse and, and they take it to mean that if you don't forgive, then you can lose your salvation. That your salvation is conditioned upon um, your ability or lack thereof to perform. And, and so many believers will say, yes, uh, salvation came to you uh, through grace alone, through faith alone. But once you have it, it is then up to you to maintain that salvation. Right? And if you don't do it right, God's going to cut you down and you can totally lose it. Okay, that's not at all what's going on here. Um, the, the second thing is a little more sneaky because, as we've said, there is some partial truth here. As mentioned, you know, secular and Christian self-help books alike talk about the emotional and the physical benefits of forgiving. You know, that like this man, when he didn't forgive, it was himself who ended up being imprisoned. And so theologian Lewis uh, Smead writes, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Uh, Anne Lamont puts it this way. She says, not forgiving is like us drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. We're the ones consuming the rat poison. And she says, what, what we are woofing down is ourselves. The skeleton at the feast is you. And, and like we said, like there, there is some truth to that. But that isn't the why that we forgive. That, that's not enough. Like we, we don't forgive out of fear that we're going to lose our salvation, nor do we forgive only because it makes us feel better or gives us emotional health. That, that's not what this parable is about. So what is it then? Well, James Boyce wrote, there's an unbreakable connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others, which means our inability to forgive isn't about losing our salvation nor about us feeling bad as much as it reveals our failure to grasp the king's mercy to us. It reveals that we were never saved to begin with. Or so to put it bluntly, we can't give what we don't have. Okay? And so if, if, you, if you run into self-professing Christians who just cannot forgive, will not forgive, over a long, not just like for a little while, but like over a long period of time, that's, that's telling. 
So Jesus is trying to impress upon us the reality that we have an overwhelming debt that we cannot pay back. And the only hope any of us have is in God's heart going out to us in forgiveness. You know, that, that we are the rebels. That, that our sins, our debt, that your debt nailed Jesus to the cross. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died not only to pay our debt, but to give you, to give us his record. So not only did he erase our debt, but he added us to his account. He put us on his tab. And so on the cross, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, like, do you ever wonder why God's heart did not go out to his son in pity on the cross? Has that ever bothered you, that, that whole verse? Oh, Westminster, listen. You will never begin to plumb the depths of God's grace until you know and embrace the answer to that question. That the why is you. Okay, It's you. Until that absolutely blows your mind, you will not be a forgiver. You will think the world owes you. Until you see what the man in the parable did not, that even the unspeakable evil people may do to you, like, like the worst things possible, even the war crimes, the Hamas, even genocide. And, and I, I want to tread very gently because abuse is deeply traumatic. But even the pain of abuse that others, even other Christians that you trusted, even that abuse that was visited upon you. And, and listen to that. There, there are brothers and sisters. There are professionals. Uh, to help you process through that trauma, right? But please know, and, and I mean this in the most loving way I possibly can say it, all of that, all of that pales in comparison to the evil you, to the evil we have committed against God. Like, and until we see that, until we stop saying that we are the victims of abuse and, and realize, yes, we are, and, and yes, it's traumatic, but until we drop all these notions of like, I'm going to make up for it, just give me more time, and we see that we are the worst candidates for mercy ever. And yet, by grace in Jesus, that is exactly what we've received over and over and over and over again. Until that message becomes good news to your soul, that not only has God forgiven you, but in Christ you have God's smile. Like until that happens, this, this will seem impossible. As Jesus said, he who is forgiven much love, loves much. And we have been forgiven an eternity of debt. Well, that changes things. You know, that softens, that softens us. You know, once you have known the wonder of forgiveness then like, we, we will actually find ourselves responding and actually being compelled to forgive others. Um, even those people that hurt you way back in the day, like, like we're not happy about it, we don't necessarily forget it, but like, we, we, we process that through the gospel. And listen, if this does not describe you, really hear this as a call. 
You know, maybe you've been dancing around the edges for a long time, but you've never plunged into the fountain of grace. And, and I want to invite you to come this morning. I re- really come. And, and, and if you already have come, I want to in, in, invite you to, to come again. I experience the freedom of forgiveness in Christ because being forgiving is always a byproduct of first having been forgiven. Well, let me pray for us. Fathers, we face 2024. Um, I ask, we ask that you would make us a, a more gracious, more humble, more forgiving a version of ourself than in years past. And Father, may the gospel message so just pierce us. May it so mark us that we find ourselves being compelled to do what we could never fathom before. Um, just forgiving, walking in forgiveness uh, through just hardship. So, Father, make us, make us more like Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you for him. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.